Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 15. The title of the message is Christ and His Body. And as you'll see as we go along, the body part is not only talking about His, his own body, but talking about His church body. Let's start reading in uh, verse 15. I'm reading from the modern King James Version. Jehovah God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And Jehovah God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Jehovah God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground Jehovah formed every animal of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But there was not found a suitable helper for Adam. And Jehovah God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh underneath. And Jehovah God made from the rib, which he had taken from the man, into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, Shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh? And they both were naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. In looking at the Word of God, we might end up asking ourselves, uh, or others, for the sake of asking questions, because we talked about how the ministry is, it's, has to do with questions, to get people to think and learn. But we may ask ourselves or others, what is God's main purpose? I mean, you hear people out there in, in the world asking that question that hasn't delved into the scriptures, who don't even claim to believe the gospel, and you'll get all kind of answers. And a lot of the answers are, I don't know, they'll say. But if you condense, I'm convinced of this, if you condense the message down from the Word of God, the whole Word of God, to see what God is always showing, it's because of His eternal purpose to keep in the forefront one thing, his glory. So the main purpose of God is his own glory. Now this glory, you can continue to condense these ideas and bring them down to what the main focus of the scripture is overall. Not only is it his glory, but that is brought to us in the most magnified preeminent way in the person of Christ. And you can bring down as far as like time and what everything points to, you can bring it down to the cross of Christ, right? In the fullness of time, all this took place and everything, everything was created for this span of time when Christ was on the cross and did what he did on the cross toward God, for his people, for God's glory. Now that, just that by itself, is a lot of progress for people to come to that conclusion. There's a lot behind that, in other words, that backs up what I just said so far in the introduction of God's glory being his chief purpose and it more focused and condensed on Christ 
and then that more focused and convinced on his death on the cross and what it accomplished. That is really a lifetime in an outline of someone's overall learning of theology is right there. If you can understand that and, and expand on those things, you've been blessed by the Word of God, I think. Don't just take, just don't take that, those three things, that mantra and condense them and say, you know, Scott Price gave me this outline of the most important. Hey, don't take my word for it. I mean, I seek prove that every week here. Study on your own, and uh, if you can come up with some extra stuff, let me know. If you can say it better, let me know, because we want to always say things better. We want to expand things, and like I said last week, there's always more that can be said. The central focus of our message, our methods, our means, which would be our, our sermons, our songs, our literature, our fellowship, our attitude, our transparency, our associations with others, what we do with our funds, everything you can think of should be associated with those points. And believe it or not, even the way we set up this room, that might be a head scratcher for some people, but the room is set up in such a way that it is, I believe, anti-superstitious. We don't have candles, incense, stained glass, statues, in other words, idols. We don't have American flags back here or any other national flag. We don't have anything about Donald Trump up here. We recently, as we have oftentimes gone to Galatians 3, where it talks about there's neither Jew nor Greek nor bond nor free nor male nor female. But we're all one in Christ Jesus. And we're Abraham's seed, which were spiritual Israel that believed the promise of the gospel conditioned on Christ alone. And each one of those things that I mentioned, I could give multitude of commentary and probably offend some people listening on Sermon Audio about the way we do things here versus the way other churches may be run. But as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we live by faith and we're led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God that dwells in us. If we don't have the Spirit of Christ in us, we're not any of His, it says in Romans 8. If we're led by that Spirit, we are going to gain clarity on all these things that I have just mentioned. If we grow, we will gain clarity. We have never tried to say that we know everything or that we have or even can have an exhaustive knowledge of all that there is that God has to say. That would be ridiculous. Nobody, I've never met anybody that's ever said that. The person that I thought, who he thought was the biggest know-it-all has never even said that or never even implied it. When you speak the truth and it becomes offensive and it's up against somebody's error that they believe, that accusation comes. So you're saying you've got to have perfect knowledge of all that God says about the gospel. I'm sure you've heard it. All we want is knowledge of the perfect Christ. Just a little bit. All that God will give us is enough. He gives us faith to see, to believe, to understand and to love those truths. And we grow in them. So if we know, I kind of believe in some progressive nature of some things, and it's growth in grace. If we know more today than knew yesterday, it doesn't mean that we're any better. That means we've expanded on those things that we've already known, or maybe some new things that we've found out that not necessarily were essential for salvation, but added to the, the focus and the magnification of salvation. You know, I use different cliches or illustrations to use in everyday life, like talking about putting the pieces of puzzle together. And that's what, that's what happens. You know, we, those things start to come together and we see consistency in our own minds. It's already in Scripture. 
It's just we're catching up in our own minds to see it. And as that happens, it strengthens our, our assurance, our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we understand and hear the Word of God and believe it, our assurance is strengthened. And then, of course, something that opposes that is when we look on ourselves, our assurance should not be bolstered. We should just, you know, get the warning that says, don't look to yourself. Because when we do look to ourselves, it's only death. So our focus and our clarity grows in our, in our priority. The importance of seeing our priority in these things should grow and be applied actually to our lives. This is not just some abstract idea and we throw it on a shelf and say that's cool and not have it be applied to our lives. So in other words, it's not a game. This is serious. Uh, so much so that it's war. Scripture talks about this as a war. We are at war on several fronts with ourselves. Paul in Romans 7 talked about that war within himself between the spirit and the flesh. We are at war with the world. The world is against the truth. So do you think that being involved in a war might have something to do with training? Eh, probably not. Never mind. <laughs> of course. It has something to do with training. and It has something to do with discipline. That's where that word disciple comes from. Discipline to be effective in war. There is training involved. This is what we do when we hear the word of God, when we study on our own, when we read literature or books about doctrine and theology, when we watch videos that have to do with the gospel, this is training. When we just fellowship with one another, just talk and discuss, this is training. Now, I, I was in the military, and I don't expect any, I kind of don't even like it. When, it's because my view is different than most people's view about First of all, our country and what it represents. I'm a citizen of a better country, first of all, a heavenly country. My allegiance is to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's why I don't have an American flag up here. Now, when it comes to the United States of America, my allegiance wavers depending on the policies that are put in place. Some days I'm very, very, very angry with the leadership of this country and, and where it's gone. But the goal, when I was in the military, the goal... And I asked a bunch of questions to a lot of military people before I went in. But I found out quickly the goal was two things in basic training. To get you to obey orders and to work as a team. Those are the two top things. If somebody going into basic training, if they can understand that, this the little psychological war, what they're doing to you in basic training, you not saying you got it made, but it's a lot easier. So bring that to the spiritual realm and the war that is going on that we're participating in. The war we have in ourselves, especially the war we have in the world, that's against the gospel. Orders and teamwork. Orders, for example, basic idea of obedience to the gospel. That's just belief in the gospel. We know uh, Christ is going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not his gospel. Gospel disobedience is just unbelief. Another time, and we have in the past, go into more text that back up what I just said, but there's the idea. Not just the gospel, but everything else the scripture says that we are to do, how we are to act, what we are to listen to, what we are to submit to, on and on and on. But the authority of scripture is what we're getting at here. The orders are the authority of the scripture. This church is technically an independent church. We are nonconformists. We don't conform to some central government that is out of our control that can make decisions that would go against our doctrine. 
a big example would be Rome has the Vatican with the Pope and the hierarchy and it trickles down. The Pope has the authority to make changes and they have over the years. You can read about it. Uh, they'll flip-flop on different things depending on I don't know, maybe how much wine a Pope drinks or the business. I don't know, but they change like the wind. You can see they started certain things that never were in place and then they stopped things. Unreliable. It's the word of man. So we don't, we don't have to answer that. We have allegiance to the gospel of grace. We are at unity in doctrine. The authority of the scripture guides what we do. If I start saying something wrong, I hope that you're trained enough to say you're saying something wrong. Get with me. And, and vice versa. If, some, if there's a doctrine in the church that's crept in and it's causing trouble, we don't go to some outside body. We go to the scriptures. There are authorities from scripture in everything. And everything else falls behind that. We have a confession of faith. We don't put that ahead of the scripture. Our confession of faith came out of the scripture. We sing songs. We don't develop our theology out of songs. We develop our songs or choose our songs from the theology and doctrine that's already in the Bible. Or anything else, governing rules, regulations, methods, anything. It must line up behind God's word. God's word dictates everything that we do. Teamwork, that aspect part would be unity and fellowship and humility in the church, love, edification, evangelism, exercising our, our spiritual gifts in the body. This is part of a team. It's not a one-man show. And it doesn't, anybody coming in that's rich or tries to influence with power or money, it's not going to work. So, in other words, you guys, personally, Y-O-U, capital, bold, underline, explanation point, you guys are the ministry. And it just simply means service. Ministry is service. What we see that Christ said last week when we were looking, anybody wants to be exalted, he must be a servant. And all this is for his glory. And Christ is our head. So we're going to flow into the message here, concentrating on Christ and his body, and the fact that he is our head. Let me quote to you. Stay in uh, Genesis. I want you to stay there. But I want to quote from Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 referring to a reference of Christ being our head. This is not the only one. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He says the authority. He is the living word of God. He points to the scripture and says, Here, I'm leaving you this with the help of the Holy Spirit, your comforter, who will lead you into all truth. The Spirit testifies of Christ, we know. The Father has wisely put Christ out in front in preeminence. We've got the verse on the back so we won't forget. We've got all these verses up here that talk about who Christ is. And we look at him every week. We fellowship in the gospel. And we submit to the authority of Christ as our head. And our theology and doctrine matches that. We have a gospel that shows that he is our head. And we submit to his righteousness because our righteousness is not the head as false religions display. That's what false religion is. Their righteousness has Christ with a ring in his nose leading him around, dictating. And they have effeminized their Christ and they are the head. They are independent with their free will and they are the boss and they boss their Christ around who, by the way, is a miserable failure that failed at the cross, and they got to make the difference up with the things that they do, the conditions they fulfill. 
I don't think any of those things surprise you, right? That, I mean, we, we talk about those, and we're, we're schooled in them, and we're not done with them either. We're going to continue to bring those out in contrast to the true Christ. Now, back in Genesis chapter 2, let's look at verse 21. There's, there's you know, like I said, I almost go insane every week trying to decide how to organize what to say because there is always more to say. But in, in the gospel, when we talk about the things of God, there is the depth. And as you mature, you see the depth go further and deeper. And even though you gain clarity on it, you'll see, like Paul said, we see through a glass darkly, dimly. And we're always craving more. And we're like the, the deer by the, by the brook lapping up the water and being satisfied by that. Verse 21, And Jehovah God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up his flesh underneath, and Jehovah God made the rib which had been taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So I'm not going to sit here and do a you know 15 minute word study on that word, but it it just says what it just says. That's what that word means because it's taken out of from man, and that's what we're going to get at. The church is taken out of Christ. It derived from Christ, in other words. The body of Christ was derived from His body. There is order to God's ways in everything, whether it be authority, priority chronology, function. There's always order. God is the God of order. When he created the world, there was, there was chaos, and he put it in order. If you read the account in Genesis, God has structure. He has logic. He has wisdom. He has knowledge. He has power and sovereignty to get these things done. He sets things in place, not just at random or arbitrarily, but for a purpose. And nobody can control his reasons or his purpose, or his ways. So they all fit according to God's sovereign, unchangeable decree, his will, and his purpose. And we need to ask the Lord to show us these things, and give us wisdom to apply all these things that he has for order in our lives. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to see a parallel here. There's a type, of course, that we had just looked at in Genesis of Christ and his church in connection to the husband and wife. We've talked about that here before. I think I did a six-part series called Christ the Perfect Husband, talking about the correlation there. And it just barely scratched the surface back then, and we're going to even do less today. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, and I could have started further up. There's a lot of good stuff, but i got to, I got to start, cut it off somewhere because of time. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And here we go. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Now already that last part of that phrase starts getting into what we're talking about. As to the Lord. There's a connection. It's important. But the point I want to talk about is Christ and his church. I've got a lot to say about a lot of things, and I could say more about the first part. I want us to see that that last part of that verse 22, 
as to the Lord. Even goes over to men submitting themselves to Christ in his gospel, right? This is talking about women do this for the sake of the Lord first. It's not just isolated to, okay, I'm supposed to submit to my husband. God says to submit to your husband, so you do it for God's reason. Deeper spiritual meaning is we submit to God and his purpose in Christ, right? I want you to see the stress of that to start getting into that idea as we go through here. Because this is what it's about. It's about submitting to the righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. For the husband, verse 23, is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. We just quoted Ephesians 1 concerning that. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, this is talking about submission and authority's sake, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now it shifts to the husband, which, as I had mentioned in Eric and Whitney's wedding a couple weeks back, but the, this is the harder job. The standard is higher here, right? If you understand it, you'll know that. Husbands, love your wives. How? Or, or to, according to what standard? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the standard of love. Women, as they look to the same standard, that's even for women, look to that for how you love one another, how you love your husband, how you love your friends, your church members. That's the standard, is as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the standard of true love. And it's a good thing that we're not called into judgment right now, and God judges all of us according to this standard, because nobody in the history of the world would be justified, right? Even loving our neighbor as ourself, we couldn't even make that. Verse 26, that, in other words, for the reason that he might sanctify and cleanse it, cleanse the church, with the washing of water by the word. We've talked about in uh, John 17, 17, Christ said in his high priestly prayer before his death, he said, sanctify them. He's praying to the Father. He's talking concerning his people. Sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. So the truth of God sets us apart. We, our minds are renewed and our minds are set apart from a lie, set apart from what we were previously perhaps ignorant of. We are to have our minds renewed daily so that our minds would be set apart daily to come into focus of these things that we've mentioned in the introduction concerning the glory of God and the exaltation of Christ, how that he glorified the Father and so on. Now, again, keep these things in mind. This is I want us to focus, some of you aren't even married, but the idea is, let's think Christward here. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man has ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, even as the Lord loves the church. For, or because, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two of them shall be one flesh. 
Okay, so you, you hear something that you recognize that we read in Genesis, and we're going to probably next week <laughs> tie those together because we don't have time today. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, what, what he had just mentioned. But I speak concerning Christ in the church, but also that every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife respects her husband. The word respect there in the version that I have down here that's used, one is defers to the husband, honors, gives reverence. So that the focus of the church is toward the Christ as the husband of the church. This is what this is saying is give reverence and awe and respect to Christ. I think we have a couple messages just specifically on that on Sermon Audio. Reverence to Christ or reverence to his name or, or something like that. I can't remember. We go in greater detail in those messages. So notice we had emphasized back in Genesis to take out of. The rib was taken out of Adam to form Eve, to make Eve. So there's that language. And if we start thinking gospel-wise, you know, Godward, Christward, we start thinking of how the church came out of or was derived from or created from the power, the authority, and everything else that backs our salvation, the blood of Christ, and so on. We know in eternity past there was a covenant made in the Godhead, an agreement, a compact, a contract. And it was uh, from the mind of God, the eternal wise mind of God. Me and Becky were talking this morning about the word conspiracy a lot of times is in a negative way. Or if somebody's scheming to do something, a lot of times that's used today in a negative way. But God is a schemer. He conspired in a good way. It was a conspiracy of love for his people. And his plan was schemed out. His purpose was schemed out to do this thing of salvation for his own glory. I would hope that we would, in this church body, would conspire together every week to do what God tells us to do in a good way. Scheme and plan and pray and learn and grow and all these things we've always, we always talk about every week. Don't let the world steal a one-sided definition of a word. We are really not big on the charismatic movement, right? We don't allow people to speak in tongues or get out of order. We talked about God's a God of order. We don't allow that here. But that doesn't mean that we go the extreme opposite way. And when I'm preaching and I look out to the audience, I, I see no response at all. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea what you guys are thinking or saying. If you're allowed saying amen, that's not against. I mean, we don't have the rules back there. On, you know what I'm saying? You're allowed smiling. You're allowed shaking your head. But some organizations or, or bad things have made us go too far in the opposite way and, and not use language that sometimes is even in the scripture. I'm sure there's lots of examples we could use there. But this covenant. God had purpose to, uh, as we had mentioned in the introduction, his glory is his chief concern. So this covenant, he ensured that his glory would be magnified. And this is done glorifying himself in the salvation of his people. This is done in a very clear, very magnified way. We know before the world was created, he set his unchangeable, unconditional affection on a particular people. These are made up of individual people, but he, he unchangeably, unconditionally set his affection on them, not, not in some emotional way that maybe that we might get carried away with, 
There, of course, was, when I say unconditional, I'm talking about it's not conditioned on the person. God didn't use his super projection of looking down to see the future and saying, I think this person, this person, they'll match. I think they'll conform better to my plan. I think they'll cooperate more. That one's better looking. This one has more money. And pick like, like sinners would pick. This is not how it happened. His ways are not our ways. He conditioned every single one that he chose on Christ. The method in which he chose was the method of viewing us accepted in Christ alone. Also his love, as his affection was purposely set on people, it was for his own will's sake, his own desire, his own purpose in Christ. As I had said so often before, that God does not love you for you. If you think God loves you for you, you're going to be miserable. You're in a competition that you will not win. God loves me for Christ's sake. It says in Romans 8, the very last verse, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where the love of God is. It's in Christ. If you're not in Christ, the logical implications that infers clearly, we can deduce that you're not loved by God. We love him because he first loved us. If somebody ends up in their lifetime not ending up loving God, that means God didn't love them. That's not hard. This is part of God's purpose. He set it up in such a way that man couldn't get in there and, and weasel around and be the cause, in other words. We know before the world was created, this is when this happened. So God, back then, before man could do anything, set certain ones apart. He chose them in Christ. He predestinated them to be conformed to the image of Christ. The Father anointed Christ and appointed Christ to be the one the only qualified one, Christ agreed, willingly, voluntarily agreed to come and complete the mission to redeem those people by his death. And the Spirit of God in each generation, as these people are born, comes to each one of these chosen people. And in his power, he reveals Christ to them using a specific means, the gospel of grace, that message that he, that's issued out. And he opens their minds to see that. That's not skipped. And by the way, that message, when it's heard and understood and believed, God is glorified in the hearts of the believer. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It takes place. They're given spiritual life. In other words, they spiritually resurrect because they were spiritually dead in order to see Christ and therefore live by faith all the rest of the days of their life. So that's, that's how God works that out. That's not hard. All, all the things I said are, I didn't give scriptural references for each one. I'm sure as I was saying things, there are probably references popping out in your heads that we've covered in times past and maybe that you even learned before you came to be a part of our group. So the first point was the church came out of Christ, came from Christ, taken out from Christ, Christ being the head. Secondly, there is a leaving of our formal death for life in him. We change families, we change names. I want to read a couple verses here. You can um, you can turn if you want to. We're going to go back to Genesis here in a minute. But uh, Romans eight fourteen. I cannot get enough of Romans eight. It applies to so many things that we're talking about, especially this section here, verse fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now we know because of total depravity, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually understood spiritually discerned or understood. 
We know we come into the world spiritually dead. This is why we need a new birth. We know in Romans 3, I think we read it last week, the four nuns, there's none righteous, there's none that understands, there's none that seeks after God, and there's none good. This is our natural state of total depravity. Before we are born of God, we can't approach God. We don't even know who God is to even approach Him. So we have a God of our imagination. There are several things that we could spend weeks talking about that is our barrier between us and God. So Christ, our mediator, comes and, and does those things that we had just talked about in our last point. So the church will come out of him, come from him, be birthed by him as him being the firstborn from the dead. And here the Spirit of God is, is given the authority based on the work of Christ for us. The Spirit of God does a work in us. It still turns around and points to Christ. And we are led by him, it says, and we are sons of God. We're in a different family. We are adopted into this family. Verse 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, of fear. You know, the spirit of God used the law as our schoolmaster, right? And shows us, here's a law, you can't keep it. We're in bondage. We're in fear. That's the administration of death, administration of condemnation. We see we can't. It's like a curse, right? We see we can't do that. We can't keep that. We're not, we're not qualified because of who we are. We can't start to do it because if we started, we've got problems in the past. But even if we started, we know we don't do it right. So the law is to shut us up that every mouth may stop so that we may look to Christ, the one who satisfied the law. He is the end of the law for righteousness, for justification. So we, we're in a state now where well, out of that state of fear and bondage, we've moved out from that. We've been taken out from that because of Christ, and the Spirit has led us out from that, pointing us to Christ. And now we've received the spirit of adoption. Remember we just quoted a while ago about it's, it's not gender, it's not bloodline, it's not, it's not tradition, it's not any, it's not nationality, it's not race, it's, it's none of those things. We are all one in Christ Jesus and brought into a family that has nothing to do with all those other distinctions, but the one distinction in Christ, right? And we're adopted by, it says, by which we cry, Abba, Father. So God is our Father. Christ told those religious people, you are of your father, the devil. Well, we're adopted. We're not, the devil is not our father. God is our father. Verse 16, and here's why I brought us here. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, I just want to say a couple of things about that. That That is, if you just read that and let it go, that's kind of like, you're just going to determine what that means yourself without digging in and knowing the context. That's not some mystical thing to where, you know, I hear God talking to me. Right? That isn't that pretty popular today. You hear, you talk with people, and the Lord spoke to me and said this, you know, and, and they get some kind of audible, or maybe just like a still small voice in their head. God speaks to His Word. Period. The Bible alone is the Word of God. We have to get a hold of that and not budge from that, because if you start going outside of that, heresies are going to come in. God speaks to us through His Word only. If we have ideas in our heads, they, they better have lined up with the Word of God. Otherwise, they're bad ideas. So this is how God's Spirit bears witness to our spirit, because the Spirit of God testifies of Christ. And we're trusting and believing and leaning on Christ. 
We don't have any more confidence in the flesh. We don't lean on the arm of the flesh. These verses in their context, remember, it says you're not in the flesh anymore. You're walking in the spirit. So we are now the children of God. We are, we've changed families. Now we know that when we change families, the wife, the name changes. And in this type here, out of Genesis, the church receives the same name as Christ, which is the Lord our righteousness. I think we covered that in the last few weeks. But that's his name. And we have his righteousness. We are married to Christ. Remember Romans 7? Not in bondage to the law anymore. We're married to Christ now, right? So we have a new name, the Lord our righteousness. We have his righteousness. That's why we're called that. He purchased us, remember? We're not our own. So there was a mentioning in Genesis about, and in um, Ephesians there, of leaving mother and father. And we're going to start, we're going to pick up there next week in that section right there about leaving mother and father. Any comments or questions? Anything else? Any other uh, announcements? Anybody remember anything? that uh, We're going to have Lord's Supper. And keep in mind what we had talked about so far. We're going to talk more about his body because there's, a, of course, a relationship there.